quitting is a responsibility. And by that, I mean, I think it really matters how you do it, not only for what the final outcome is for yourself, but for all the people that it affects. It was a complicated decision. Uh, and there was a lot that, that went into it and ultimately made the choice for my family and I, but I had that time and space to reflect and kind of reprioritize. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker. Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. In today's episode, we're traveling to Phoenix, Arizona to chat with Lucas Lindsay. Lucas is an ecosystem builder from Florida turned real estate developer. We talked about planning for succession and the importance of the built environment for entrepreneurial ecosystem building. Off we go to Phoenix, Arizona. Lucas Lindsay, welcome to the show. Former ecosystem builder turned developer, I think is the right term. Is that correct? Yeah, developer builder. Perfect. Thank you for coming on the show and uh, sharing part of your story with us. I think the last time I saw you, we would have been at a Startup Champions Network Summit. I'm sure we were, whether we were in Chattanooga or Tampa or somewhere else gallivanting. Gallivanting as we do as ecosystem builders. Um, before we jump into today's conversation, you do not live in Florida anymore. You are now in Arizona. Yes, Phoenix, Arizona. Brilliant. Take us on a tour of your ecosystem. What do we need to see, hear, visit, experience if we were to come to your ecosystem? Yeah, I'd love to do that. And in fact, when friends and family visit, I always show them around to some of the best buildings and places to eat, drink, and uh, have fun in the city. A lot of people, I think when they think of Phoenix, they think of the hot summer and they kind of are envision the surface of the sun in July and August. However, 10 other months of the year, uh, we have amazing weather. It's a great place to live. Uh, and there's a lot of things I think that people don't appreciate about uh, the Valley of the Sun. We do get our fair share of sun, but at the same time, you could step off the airplane at Sky Harbor Airport. I could pick you up and then 15 minutes we could be at the base of uh, amazing hiking and mountain preserves right in the middle of the city. Uh, places where you could lose sight of civilization walking through the trails. Uh, and that's just a short drive away. Uh, so I have to take people through those places, North Phoenix Mountain Preserves, Camelback Mountain. You get an amazing 360 view of the whole Phoenix metro area standing on top. And then always head head down to downtown Phoenix, which is rapidly changing, uh, growing. There's a lot of uh, new construction. There's a lot of old historic buildings being reused in new ways. That's the stuff that I love, really love adaptive reuse and uh, combining new ideas with old buildings. So I would take you down to uh, Roosevelt Row, which is a old uh, arts district that has uh, changed a lot over the last 10 years, a lot of new housing down there new restaurants. I was just there on Sunday 
uh, touring uh, installation of the shipping containers that are turned into housing units that have been dropped into uh, the uh, empty Phoenix city of Phoenix owned lot down there. And oh. then just a sh- short walk down the street, went to two new uh, bars and restaurants that's crept up in the last year, had a great time. Uh, and I think it's just, a, it is, there's a lot more going on here than I think people can appreciate. And we've really started to embrace some of our heritage architecturally with a lot of mid-century modern buildings, cool block work, um, cool roof lines, things that you only got in the 50s and 60s. So much of the area was built in that time. Uh, and now we're sort of rediscovering the beauty of, of all that mid-century architecture. So I think that's one of the cool things to see. You can go on great mid-century tours. There's great antiquing and uh, shops for all that kind of furniture and housewares. And it's something that's, I think, really starting to define um, some of the look and feel of Phoenix. Very cool. Thank you, Lucas. I want to walk back to the moment where you realized or decided that you're going to step away from the field of ecosystem building. What was going on in your life at the time? What fueled that decision? Walk us through that process of Avid Startup Champions Network member to what you're doing now in Phoenix. Yeah, so now I work in construction and real estate development every day. But obviously before I was full-time, more than full-time in ecosystem building uh, 24-7. And I, I very distinctly remember... Uh, a moment when I got off an airplane, I was in Gainesville, Florida. I was flying back from seeing family in Michigan. My wife picked me up. And we were making the long drive back to Tallahassee. At that time, it was very important to me to grab a, a affordable flight. And um, Gainesville was uh, the best option for me. So we had a long road trip ahead. And I think as you do on road trips, you get to talking and reflecting and Uh, My wife was nearing the end of completing her PhD at Florida State in Tallahassee. uh, And I had experienced some things back with my family up in Michigan, uh, which I'm happy to talk about, that kind of triggered me to reflect more and and have more time to look and think about what I wanted and where I was headed. And then also reflect on the importance of family. And I remember we were driving down the I-10 and I just told my wife, hey, you put all this work in, you're going to graduate. I know you're going to go on the academic market. That Her dream and goal was to be a professor. Um, realistically, we had to look elsewhere for that. And I sort of released all of what I was doing and just said, hey, I'm, let's go that route. I will back you. And wherever I land, I can figure out something to do that interests me. So that was kind of the moment it changed. Before that time, we talked a lot about maybe how we could make it work in Tallahassee or Tallahassee to Atlanta and be in different places or whatever. But at the end of the day, uh, we decided to chart a new path. And I had to change what I was doing in order to do that. How hard was it for you to step away from your role as an ecosystem builder? As you said, it was more than full time. Many of us work long days. We pour a lot of extra. It's not your nine to five, right? And you become deeply invested in the community you work with. What was it like taking that part of your identity and leaving it behind and saying, okay, I'm going to go find something else somewhere else and figure it out? It was really tough. It was very hard because it, I was really starting to define myself by my work 
at the time. I was fully emotionally, <laughs> philosophically, uh, spiritually, if you will, invested in in doing that. And and I had only recently discovered Startup Champions Network, and I had started to conceive of what I was doing as a professional career path. Mm-hmm. I think when I first got into it, I stumbled into it, and I just was attracted to sort of the dynamic atmosphere, the, the very interesting, compelling people that were involved, the entrepreneurs, the people supporting them, and the sense of kind of possibility <laughs> and excitement that are in a lot of those ecosystem building and startup spaces. And then I was in it, doing it, just executing, learning. And and then when I discovered Startup Champions, I was like, this is, no, this is actually the future of economic development. I am part of the economic development industry. I think I am as expressing itself in a, in my opinion, a uh, new and better way or, or um, alternative way uh, to grow a community. And so I had started to really embrace that and tell people I'm an ecosystem builder. And, and so it was definitely, it was difficult to let go. But as soon as I fully accepted it, really on that drive with my wife, it then just became executing how to unwind what I had been doing. Um, and at the time I wasn't sure if I would continue to work in it wherever I landed next. Right. So it wasn't that I fully was divorcing myself at that time from the work. It was more the location of that work. Walk us through some of the main steps or stages of disentangling yourself from the ecosystem and the work that you'd done. What did that process look like? Oh, well, I started with just a very close inner circle of people. Uh, trusted advisors, board members for our organization, my best friends who had recruited me when I was younger and entrusted me with leadership eventually as I grew into that role. Uh, And so I had to have a lot of close, personal, tough conversations. I mean, a lot of it was not just saying, hey, I'm going to take a step back from Delmi and and move, but also uh, tell people we're not going to be able to hang out every day, you know, and that's uh, a tough deal because through my experience with Delmi in, in Florida, uh, I developed really strong, lifelong relationships. People I still text, call every day, every week still. And uh, unfortunately, over the last few years, haven't been able to visit as much. But more recently, we've all reemerged and started to see each other again. And it feels like um, it feels like it was just yesterday that I was there. You know, that's that kind of friendship. So that was a tough deal. And then from that close circle, then it just ra- starts to radiate outward to sponsors, supporters, people who you know are going to remain in that community, are going to keep doing that work every day in the, their own form, and they have an interest for them at their organization in Domi uh, still succeeding, and they're still going to be involved even when I leave. I mean, all of this momentum and this dream of building a startup community is is still going to be in place for a lot of people. And so you have to be very respectful, I think, of that and and, and work through uh, that process. And we took a number of steps to make that happen over time. What did succession look like? Did you put someone else in place? Did someone from within the organization sort of slide into your spot? How did you orchestrate that departure? Well, we kept it very close for a number of months to just a few people, like I said, board and, and main sponsors and supporters. 
Uh, and we knew we would have to go on sort of uh, executive search, if you will. Uh, the organization was in, I don't want to call it a precarious state. We had, we were right on this fine line between sustainability and, and everyday scrappiness. Um, but it was just over the hump enough that we could go on that kind of formal search and feel like we were, we were committing, we weren't uh, misrepresenting anything when we were committing to a future with someone. Uh, but we did have to be honest that we need to find someone who's entrepreneurial, who understands there is some amount of inherent risk in some of these. I mean, they're not inheriting an endowed foundation, right? We do have uh, committed lines of resources coming in. We do have a certain amount stockpiled, but at the end of the day, person would have to continue to execute from day one very well to kind of keep that momentum. And that turnover was, it's a very tenuous time for an organization uh, when the leadership changes. Cause I think so much of an ecosystem development organizations uh, success is really based on kind of its public perception in a way. It's important that it feels like the place where the future is being built because everyone has to believe in that in order to make it happen. And you can lose that, that sense of uh, magic in those turnover periods. I think if it's not done real well, so. We went on a small uh, search just through really the Startup Champion Network. I started to outreach. I told Enoch and a few other people that I knew who were, had a more national sort of network and presence. And we just slowly put the word out. And eventually, um, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but got connected to Antonio Montoya, who had been in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, working. And he had taken a break from the organization he had built there, but he was, I heard he was still interested in being an ecosystem builder. He was interested in moving uh, and seeing and exploring a new community, uh, as I discovered. And I got to talking with him and eventually pretty quickly, um, we centered on him as the, the top person to recruit because it's a lot to ask someone to move to a new small city uh, that they hadn't been to before. And so we went through that process. And I think a, an aspect in ecosystem building, when we talk about succession, and I talked about this in season four with a lot of people, it was all around social capital, is that you're not just hiring for a skill set. You're hiring for a certain mindset and you're hiring for a personality of someone who can become really deeply invested in your community in a fairly short amount of time and who's able to build up a lot of these relationships authentically. So... I think finding a person to fill a spot like that is is a high stakes game because it's a lot of boxes that need to be checked. And I'm super glad to hear that you were able to find someone from within this network that I so appreciate. Lucas, before we move on with the conversation, um, I wanted to ask you what were some of the steps leading up to you quitting? You already touched on some of the family stuff going on, your wife getting ready to take a big next career step. Can you walk us through what other contributing factors were influencing your decision to leave? Yeah, I think I had a lot uh, going on at that time and a few different things culminated and came together in, in that decision uh, that I described kind of driving down the highway. But uh, a year before that, uh, and the reason that I had been flying in and out of town, uh, I received a call uh, from my stepfather that he 
had brain cancer. And so he had a terminal illness and a prognosis that was not very long. So I had spent that year prior going back and forth to see my family in Michigan. And um, when I first received the call from him, it was when I was in the middle of uh, going 24-7 running Domi. And it was all day, every day. And I had never really looked up. Uh, I was just executing and doing and trying to get our name out there and trying to help entrepreneurs. And it was just constant, right? Everyone who's done this work, I think, understands that. Um, but then kind of in a flash, things changed. And I was up there in Michigan. I was disconnected from the job. I had time off in a sense. I took a, a brief a leave every time I was with my family. So I was totally and 100% kind of off the grid of that. And it created space, I think, for thinking and reflecting a lot more. Um, I've heard people call that a pattern interrupt. You know, some people achieve that through meditation and other things that they do purposefully, or you do it through a sabbatical or whatever it might be in your life. In this case, it was imposed on me in a situation that came on, but it, it broke me out of that day to day. And so I started thinking more about importance of family and those priorities. I think that made me think a lot more about the future for my wife and I. And then um, if I'm being totally honest at the same time, um, there was a lot of pressure with doing that job that in some ways it was easy to, to take a step back and because I it was constant and uh, it was the type of job that wakes you up at night wondering about the bank account and payroll and all those things, those kind of pressures of an entrepreneur. I mean, I was running a nonprofit organization, but it still has many of the same challenges of finding a sustainable business model and dealing with the stresses of employees and um, the responsibilities that you have, not being sure about the strategy for the future, even though you have to project confidence in being sure. What I was, when I was doing it, I was kind of mid to late twenties. And so a lot of older people were entrusting me and I think I had to project a lot of confidence and I didn't want to be weak in front of people. So I was internalizing a lot of stuff and a lot of challenges and, um, some things we were doing, were going incredibly well. And then there were other things we were experimenting with, uh, like a code school and whatnot that were not home runs, uh, right out of the gate. So there was a lot of stress at that same time. And so. You know, I think that just being transparent and honest that it was a complicated decision uh, and there was a lot that, that went into it and ultimately made the choice for my family and I, but, you know, I, was, I had that time and space to reflect and kind of reprioritize. It sounds like there was a lot more buildup than first meets the eye when you make such a big decision. I think so. Yeah. In a sense, I think I was running into a type of burnout and that's common when you're working that hard, I think. Uh, and I didn't have ways or mechanisms to deal with it and to mitigate it and to kind of do therapy or whatever I needed to do through that until I had the time to think and reflect and plan for the future more. What was that feeling once you made the choice? Because knowing, like, I know this feeling of laying in bed awake at night, trying to figure out what's next and being stressed constantly and then having such a, what did you call it? A pattern interruption? Pattern interrupt, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that, was there a sense of relief once you decided you could get yourself out of that situation and, and sort of steer into a different, onto a different course? I think so, yeah. 
there's a real pressure off my shoulders. I mean, all that all that remained was executing on the the transition and making a successful, sustainable succession plan, and that felt achievable. I think I believed we could do that. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of relief, and then eventually I knew through talking to people back in Phoenix, I was going to move. And I, I realized I probably would be getting back into the development industry as my primary. And so I was excited about that. And, and, and the relief turned to a sense of new adventure. And, you know, it was really exciting from that point uh, forward. But <laughs> I will say the one thing I remember when we moved to Phoenix is I was very excited to sort of just be anonymous in a city <laughs> and just live sort of an anonymous life for a period of time. And that was partly because in Tennessee, it's smaller. You go to the grocery store and you run into people that you work with or you're out to eat and you overhear people you know talking or what have you. And I was in a role that was community facing. So that happened to me a lot. So it is sometimes nice just to go to the grocery store and nobody knows who you are. That's great. I bet. And, um, you know, I keep wondering what your wife's perspective on all this is. You know, we never think about, but you know, the people who love us the most, they watch us work ourselves into the ground. They watch us be stressed and get sick and worry. And for them to watch us sort of go through that metamorphosis of working ourselves out of the situation and then get excited for something else must also be really rewarding for them. And and I'm just glad you have a partner who sort of accommodated for all that and, and could help you shepherd through that process and then start this next chapter in Phoenix with you, which is really awesome. Yeah, thanks. She's awesome. And and that's what it's all about. It's finding someone that you can change with, I think. I agree. Lucas, thank you so much for sharing this so openly. I think we don't talk a lot about the mental and psychological and emotional toll of this work. So thank you for putting it out there for us to hear that part of your story. Where are you now? And and how long ago was this? What's the time frame here? Uh, we moved back to, to Arizona in 2018, summer of 2018. So it's a four and a half years at this point. Fantastic. What what does your life look like now? Well, it's a lot different. Uh, we have a going to be three-year-old daughter. Uh, in three, four weeks, we'll have a, a newborn son. So I'm a parent now. Um, priorities and state of day life is different. How <laughs> the amount of uh, free time I have is <laughs> constrained, uh, but it's a beautiful life. Uh, we're happy to be here on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, right now I work in corporate construction management for almost four years. I moved back and worked for a local real estate development firm. We did adaptive reuse and uh, historic preservation uh, projects in uh, the Phoenix metro area. I uh, got exposure to a lot of uh, interesting uh, old buildings and um, the process of financing and developing and building uh, them out. And so it's kind of been my day-to-day. -day. I've always been very passionate about the built environment aspect of community building. Uh, in school, I always studied urban planning and interested in land use policy and you know regulation um, design and i think there's a lot of crossover between the work i did particularly when we were working with small businesses uh, at a local level and their success and then the kind of providing physical spaces that allow for them to be successful and uh, execute their business plan 
Um, there's a lot of crossover between community buildings, startup empowerment, and um, real estate. I think. I think so too, and especially as you took us on the tour through Phoenix. Um, the way you describe the downtown is it's really placemaking and you're working on that part of the ecosystem. And I think placemaking is so important for communities to uncover their identity and, and create something they're proud of and, and live in a place that they love and that they're invested in and that they want to see thrive. So I do see that as a building block within the ecosystem, but it feels like you've moved from one part of ecosystem building to a very different one and continue to contribute in that way, which is really cool. Are you still hanging out with entrepreneurs? Do you still um, scratch that itch every now and then? I do, yeah, yeah, as much as I can. I haven't as much been in kind of the tech side or truly kind of scalable uh, side. There, There is a ton going on in the Phoenix area, the Yes Phoenix movement. Um, there's a number of great ecosystem builders here who I've uh, met or heard about. Um, but I, I've more often been engaged with um, people kind of doing community level work, like, uh, for example, Phoenix Food Co-op that just started here, um, founded uh, during COVID. They sell online and people pick up food uh, from local and regional growers and, and um, product makers. Uh, and, and they're on a search for a physical space. Uh, so I've been engaged with them to. Uh, learn more about what their needs are and um, help empower them to to find the market and space that they need. Um, so I'm trying to find organizations like that that are building up uh, Phoenix from the ground up and and be a part of uh, working with them. So also know a lot of uh, restaurateurs or people that are working in like small retail uh, and and make the place in the city more interesting. So I try to hang out with them when I can. Well, like I said, I do spend most of the time uh, with the kids these days, but we we get out when we when we find time. Um, Lucas, I want to move on to the rapid fire round, but before we do so, I want to let our listeners know that they can best connect with you on Twitter as Urbanist without the A, so U R B N I S T, and um, I guess if they're in Phoenix, just see what all the great architecture has to offer and what the community is all about. Um, the rapid fire round is a round where I start the sentence and you get to finish. Sounds good? Sounds great to me. Super. Okay. First up, Lucas, quitting is? Quitting is? I think it's a responsibility. Quitting is a responsibility. And by that, I mean, I think it really matters how you do it not only for what the final outcome is for yourself, but for all the people that it affects. And I, we talked a little bit about that, um, the responsibility of finding the succession. That's critical to it. I mean, there's a large difference for me in just quitting, walking away, and quitting and responsibly kind of unwinding uh, that process. So I just think that's important to keep in mind. Because also relationships that you build they come back to be important later in life in ways you might never expect. So, you know, if you just drop a bomb and burn bridges on the way out, <laughs> that may, you're probably never going to go back uh, and get value, emotional or otherwise from any of those relationships or, or whatnot. So um, I'm really happy with the fact that there's so many people in Tennessee that I could still go hang out with or 
um, or work on things with. Um, I still have uh, two really great friends and business partners, uh, one who lives there and one who has since moved to the Raleigh-Durham Triangle area. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, we own a building in Tallahassee, an old gas station that's uh, now a bar restaurant. And I get to work on stuff with them that is still a part of the Tallahassee community. So, you know, it's it's just a very important, I think, how you how you walk away. I agree. Um, who is an ecosystem builder that everybody else should know about? Uh, Jenny Poon from Phoenix. Uh, I, I believe she's part of the Startup Champions Network. She's hosting the Fall Summit. That's so right. We're, actu we're actually coming to you in the you fall. You know what? I she told me that. I knew that. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm going to try to tag along or be part of that as much as possible. That's great that you're all coming here. Maybe we should do the tour for real in Phoenix. I, I think you just kind of volunteered yourself. So I'm going to pitch so, that over yeah. to Jenny. <laughs> but Jenny's doing amazing. I mean, I before I moved to Florida, uh, when I worked for a developer here right out of college, I, I, I still have emails in my inbox of getting introduced to her and learning about this new startup space, uh, co-work space called Cahoots. And so she's been doing that for more than a decade. I mean, talk about someone who's dedicated to what she's doing. And all in, uh, and now that co-working network has multiple locations and multiple cities and multiple great partnerships with economic development in Mesa and, and in other communities. And then she has since launched a software solution for local and regional economic development organizations to manage and, and learn more about their business ecosystem. And that's really cool. And she's uh, partnered and sold that to multiple local governments, uh, both in Arizona and elsewhere. So she's, I think, a very interesting case of how to create a sustainable, you know, set of activities and ecosystem building. That's awesome. It sounds like there's a lot we can learn from Jenny. So whoever wants to come to the Startup Champions Network Summit in the fall, uh, Mark your calendars. I don't think we have a date yet, but know it's coming and we will be in Phoenix, Arizona. We kind of get two for one because you, Lucas, are going to be there and Jenny. And knowing SCN Summits, we're going to do a deep dive into the local ecosystem. So that's really exciting. Um, last question here. What is one resource that has helped you so much as an ecosystem builder that you would recommend it to others? Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of books. I think there's a lot of classic books like the startup communities you know for example they're just canon in the industry if you will um but there's one in particular that i very sort of esoteric but there was a, a something that i had read when i was a domi that started to change my the way i thought about the work a lot so there was an essay that i had read from the late 90s from a software developer his name's Eric Raymond. And the essay is called The Cathedral in the Bazaar. Uh, and at that time, he was writing an essay about two different ways to go about software development. Uh, one, in this metaphor, one was the cathedral, which was more of a very centralized, top-down uh, process. And he was comparing that to like how some of the corporate companies were building software that was insulated, and they would do these releases. But the the community of coders and people didn't really have access to the code base and they didn't 
couldn't, they weren't part of the building process to help uh, flush it out for bugs or uh, to make it a better product. They would just see the product released. And then the other was this bazaar, which is this old model, you know, of a, of a community market where all the different players and people are together and it's a little more chaotic and everyone's bumping into each other, but it is more of a community process. And in the metaphor, that was what was emerging at that time, which was like open source software development um, and the Linux movement and other things. And for some reason, when I read it, and he has all these different principles that he laid out. Like every principle I was reading, I was like, this is, feels like a direct applicability to how to build you know, an ecosystem or a community organization. Like there are different ways of going about it, that top-down centralized command and control, which is sort of an older model. And then there was what I felt like we were doing, which was more of this bottom-up. It was messier, but there were lots of people were involved. We had lots of opinions involved. And in some sense, it was... I was trying to create like an open source environment where someone could kind of plug into this base of resources and activities and they could fork off it if they wanted, you know, with something new. And it was just sort of became to be how I, I, I thought about um, the process of building. And I, it was a, a metaphor that made sense to a lot of the people in the environment too, because they, a lot of them were software folks. So like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And funny enough, one of the principles, I was going back and I, I looked at it the other day, one of the principles in there is that he was referring to software folks, but like when you start to lose interest, was the way he phrased it, in a project or a program, your responsibility is to find a, your last responsibility is to find a worthy successor. And his point was, you know, that way the software projects can live on longer than you. Um, but in reflection for you know, our conversation today, like equally true of building an ecosystem organization. Absolutely true. Um, thank you, Lucas. If you can help me dig this up, I'd love to put it in the show notes so that everyone who's listening today can find that essay and read it for themselves. Um, typically, this is the end of the interview, but I have one more question that has been burning under my fingernails the whole time. Do you miss it? Do you miss the ecosystem building, the energy, the dynamics of doing this day in and day out? I think I think I do in, in a lot of ways. Um, I get a lot of the energy from seeing projects executed, uh, like real estate and construction projects, and seeing people interact and enjoy them. And there's nothing quite like that feeling as well, sort of different sides of the same coin. But yeah, there, you know, there's a certain sense of like the possibility of what was being built and redefining how people felt and thought about a community uh, and just sort of making a place easier for people to love and embrace and, and care about. I mean, that was a super cool aspect of the work. And then socially, um, again, it was just this rapid development of relationships, very deep uh, trust and, and whatnot developed among people uh and that was that's hard to recreate it was also kind of the time of life um you know we were all out late a lot 24 7 at events so there's a lot of time spent together sort of like almost like in the college and we were in the dorms with, with folks and you know the sense of community that's built so it's hard to recreate that uh, in everyday everyday life 
um, I think it's really important for people to have those kinds of relationships and, and setting to have a community. Whether some people find it in church or uh, some people find it a co-working space, whatever it is, we all want that. So, yeah, there's aspects of that I miss. And certainly during COVID was the polar opposite of having that. <laughs> so uh, I've experienced both ends of the spectrum in the last few years, for sure. Excellent. Lucas, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. Um, it has been wonderful to catch up and just hear what your journey has been. And thank you for sharing your story around quitting and, and moving away from the field for the time being. As we have established, I think you are still very much involved just at a different construction site within the ecosystem, I would say, uh, where you do a lot of placemaking. Thank you for your time. I hope we get to see you in Phoenix. Yes, look forward to it. See you this fall. Connect with Lucas on Twitter, where you can find him as Urbanist without an A, or get your ticket to the Fall Summit of Startup Champions Network, which will take place in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like for me to talk about ecosystem building for social change in your community, on your podcast or at your event, please contact me at socialventurers.com. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda-Setula and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.